Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and you're listening to the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast, a place for practical advice for women looking to balance their hormones, ditch dieting, and discover mindset shifts that will keep you motivated and empowered on your healthy eating journey. Are you ready to get started? On today's episode, I'm going to be answering some questions that were sent by email or through social media about PCOS nutrition. So I asked you guys, what do you want to know about? What are some of the things that you're not sure or confused about? And I can answer them for you. And a few great questions were submitted. So I'm going to be addressing them in depth on today's episode. But before we do that, I wanted to let you know that my course, Reset Your PCOS, is now open for enrollment. I am really excited because the ladies that are going to be in this round of the course are getting the new and improved version of it, and it's going to be awesome. This is a six-week course where I teach you my framework for healing PCOS using food, supplements, and good nutrition, and you better believe we're working on mindset as well. We're working on gaining motivation, gaining momentum, and really seeing some great results so that you don't have to ever go on a diet again. Now, this course was specifically designed for women with PCOS who want to manage their weight, reduce symptoms like acne, hirsutism, as well as fatigue, low energy levels, and signs and symptoms of inflammation. So digestive issues, joint pain, migraines, the whole nine yards, we're addressing it in this program. Each week, I'm going to be releasing one module, and it's going to teach you exactly what you need to do to change your food, change your diet, and optimize your nutrition so that your body can balance its own hormones naturally without taking medications or the pill, and really fall into balance as far as your insulin levels, cortisol, as well as your sex and adrenal hormones. So we're addressing it all. We're touching on all the things that could be off if you have PCOS, and those are the things that are likely driving your symptoms. So in order to check out all the details, I want you to go to daphnachazen.com forward slash join. That's daphnachazen.com forward slash join. All the details are over there. You can see the bonuses. You can see, of course, the price as well as the details of my program, what six steps we're going to go through. I can guarantee you it's going to be good. And I just want to mention, and this is important, doors are going to be open for a very short period of time because I'm taking a limited number of ladies into this program because I want to coach you closely and I want to make sure that everyone has access to me. So spots are limited. Doors are open for a short period of time. Go to daphnachazen.com forward slash join to check it all out. I will not be launching this program again this year for sure. Next year is a different story. Hopefully 2021 will look differently for all of us, but I'm not sure I'm going to be opening up up the doors again early in the year. So if you have lacked consistency, if this year has been hard and you've seen a worsening of your symptoms, or you continue to feel frustrated and confused about what's happening with your body, now is your time. There's not going to be a better time than right now to take charge of your health. So I encourage you to go check it out so you can see if it's the right fit for you. And I hope that you do join because ladies in previous rounds of this course have seen amazing results. 
Okay, I hope you're ready because I'm going to get into your questions that you've submitted about PCOS nutrition. The first question I got is from Veronica and she says, endocrine disruptors, are they something I need to take seriously? This is a really great question and definitely an area there's not a ton of clear information about. So I'm really glad you asked this question, Veronica. I did an episode with Dr. Katie Rose a couple of months ago all about endocrine disruptors, which I will definitely link to in the show notes below if you'd like to listen to a more in-depth discussion about it. And there's also a great PDF guide that Dr. Rose kindly provided us with that explains how to reduce the burden of toxins and exposure to endocrine disruptors. But before I answer this question, let's first talk about what endocrine disruptors are really briefly if you're new to this concept or anyone listening is not sure what exactly are they. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that can change the way the body produces and processes hormones, which is something that the endocrine system does, of course. It controls all of our hormones and the release and production of them and their function. The endocrine system consists of organs like the ovaries, adrenal glands that sit right on top of our kidneys, as well as the thyroid gland, pituitary gland, hypothalamus, and a few other glands and organs in the body that together make up this thing we call the endocrine system. Now, when we are exposed to chemicals or other substances that act on these organs that I just mentioned, they can impact how well the endocrine system is functioning, specifically as it relates to our hormones. So endocrine disruptors can increase production of certain hormones. They can decrease production of other hormones. They can also imitate hormones. They can turn one hormone into another, believe it or not, or they can just interfere with hormone signaling. So a lot of different things can happen. Now with PCOS, where there's already an imbalance of hormones, this of course can really make the healing process more more lengthy and more challenging. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, how do I know if something is an endocrine disruptor? Where do these endocrine disruptors even come from? Well, they can come from many possible sources. They can come from the water supply. They can come from products that we use, like household cleaners, as well as beauty products, or things like laundry detergents. They can also be in the air. If you live in a highly polluted area, you're likely exposed to some endocrine disruptors Uh, through air to just breathing. They can, of course, come from our food, whether it be pesticides that are sprayed on produce or the material that's used to package foods like plastics and the lining of cans. And these are just some examples. So as you can see, we can be exposed to endocrine disruptors in multiple ways. Now, the question that Veronica asked was, how much should I worry about this? And I'm going to say it really depends. Specifically, how does your nutrition and lifestyle factors look otherwise? I really think there's an order to how you go about balancing your hormones. And I think that removing disruptors is not necessarily in the first few steps that I would recommend. So if your diet diet is not dialed in yet and you're not using supplements and movement and proper sleep to balance your hormones, removing these toxins will only take you so far. You'll likely not notice a huge difference because the other pieces are much more powerful. That being said, I'd highly recommend looking at reducing endocrine disruptors if you're in a good place with the other pieces I mentioned, but you're still struggling with your cycle or unexplained fatigue or maybe things like acne and digestive issues. That's when I would consider intentionally reducing the exposure to toxins, and I'm going to give you 
the three easiest places to tackle in a second. But one thing that's super important to understand is that when you try random approaches, you get random results. And to me, when someone tries a supplement they saw somewhere or decide to switch to non-toxic cleaning products, but they don't have a strong foundation for healthy hormones with their meals and habits, it's going to be really hard to see any meaningful results. So hopefully this makes sense. And let me tell you a little bit more about what I'd recommend as far as hormone disruptors or endocrine disruptors and how to reduce the burden of toxins like that from your day. A few easy ways to get started are, first of all, switching from a plastic water bottle to a stainless steel or a glass bottle. Really easy, really environmentally friendly too, and that's going to help reduce your exposure to any toxins that are coming from plastics leaching into your water. The second thing I'd recommend is going online and checking out the Environmental Working Group's website and specifically their Dirty Dozen list. This is a list of the most contaminated produce as far as pesticides. And you want to kind of pick maybe a couple produce items that you're currently buying conventional to replace with organic if your budget allows. I know that this is not possible for everyone. So I would say if you can just do one and pick the one you eat the most frequently, and that's the one I would switch and go organic if it's on the dirty dozen list. Maybe you're looking at, you know, produce that's not even on the list, and that means it's not highly contaminated, which is great. Keep eating conventional. But if, for example, you eat a lot of apples or berries or something like that, and that's on the dirty dozen list this year. I don't know if it is. I haven't checked it out in a while, but go on the Environmental Working Group's website. I'll link to it in the show notes, and I'll also link to the dirty dozen list, the most updated one for 2020, so you can see if there's any produce that you eat daily on that list. You want to make sure that you try and switch to organic Or even better, something does not have to be certified organic to be grown organically. If you have local farmers in your area, farmers markets, or people who just sell in smaller um, establishments, not necessarily a supermarket, those are usually organically grown. Even though they're not USDA certified organic, small farms just don't have the budget to pay for the certification, which is super important. But chances are, if it's locally grown, it's grown organically. So you can go for that. And then again, do this only for fruits and veggies that you eat most frequently. The next thing I'm going to say is to try using Um, organic menstrual products or a menstrual cup, that can really help as well. And those are available, even Target will have them. And then the last thing I'm going to say is reduce the amount of scented things in your home. So anything that comes scented, like um, if you're using candles or even laundry detergent or Febreze or all of these things, you want to look for fragrance-free stuff as much as possible. You can use essential oils if you're using um, one of those plug-in air fresheners. You can use an essential oil diffuser. Instead of that, you can find cleaning supplies that don't contain scents or not scented. And then I just recently switched to um, like dryer balls instead of dryer sheets and and fabric softener. Really great, totally um, free of fragrance and much better for the environment as well. 
And then facial creams and soaps, you want to try the, to buy the ones with the least amount of chemicals. So you can look at the label and see certainly things like parabenes and sulfates. Those are all things that if you can try to avoid, especially because when you put something on your skin, like body lotion or soaps and things like that, it gets absorbed into your skin. The skin is our largest organ. So anything that we put on there, try to make it as scent-free and as chemical-free as possible. I hope this was helpful. And I'm going to move on to the next question, which was also really great. It was about herbal teas. So it was about whether or not spearmint tea or nettle leaf tea are helpful for PCOS. And the answer to this is yes. There are specific types of teas that were shown in studies to be helpful for PCOS. They are mostly herbal teas that were seen to reduce PCOS symptoms. Specifically, these teas were seen to be helpful in improving insulin sensitivity, reducing testosterone, improving acne, reducing hirsutism, and promoting ovulation. So these are all common symptoms associated with PCOS. And if we can reduce them naturally using something like an herbal tea, that's great. What I particularly love about using teas is that, again, obviously they're natural. They're generally not posing any risk. So they're generally safe because it's hard to overdose on tea, right? Nobody's sitting there drinking 70 cups of teas per day, especially when you compare it to a supplement. The amount of active ingredient that you're taking through tea will never reach the toxic levels um, as you could be getting with a supplement. Some supplements are just overdosing with the active ingredient. And also, I think that sipping on tea can be very soothing and calming, and it's just a great way to manage both your physical and emotional health in a really simple and accessible way. Teas are generally not expensive. I love tea year-round at night, and it's something I recommend to all of my clients. The question I got asked specifically about nettle leaf tea and spearmint, which are both potentially beneficial for PCOS based on what we know from studies. So spearmint tea is one of the most well-researched teas for PCOS particularly, and it's really helpful for reducing testosterone levels. So if you're dealing with excess body hair or hair loss. Studies do show that spearmint tea can help decrease free testosterone, which is what's driving those specific symptoms. It would also was also seen to increase luteinizing hormone, LH, and FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormones, both things that could be beneficial with ovulation. The question also asked about the benefit of spearmint oil versus tea, and I want to quickly address that. It's important to understand that essential oils are very concentrated. So the spearmint oil is always going to be more potent than the tea, for sure. That being said, it is very effective for PCOS. Just like the tea, you just want to be more careful with how you take it. I would definitely start with a small amount, maybe one or two drops. And you want to make sure that you're getting a good quality spearmint oil. One of the possible benefits of oil over tea that I wanted to mention is that it's more versatile. So you can use it in a million different ways. You don't just have to sip on it. Of course, you wouldn't do that like you would with tea. You would use it in a little bit of a different way. You always want to dilute it. If you're going to put it on your skin, you always want to use a carrier oil. Okay, so if you're rubbing it on your skin, you want to mix it with coconut oil, for example, so that you're not putting an essential oil directly on your skin. That usually is too harsh for most people's skin. 
So as I said, an oil can be used in more ways than tea. So it could be a good option for those of you who don't love tea or if you just can't seem to fit it into your day. And because it's versatile, it can be um, used in different methods. So you could diffuse it. Like I said, you could mix it in with another carrier oil and rub it on your skin. Some people like to use it in shakes and smoothies. Um, so there are different options. Some people like mix it into salad dressing. Um, but one of the things that's helpful also to know about spearmint oil specifically is that it's not just about reducing testosterone levels. It has other benefits like aiding in digestive health, for example. So if you're not someone who has symptoms of high testosterone, um, you but you do have digestive problems, the essential oil can be beneficial for you as well. So I want you to just be in the know about this and understand the difference between the oil and the tea. And I want to move on to talking about nettle tea, which is, like I said, another great herbal tea for PCOS. It has very significant anti-inflammatory and testosterone-lowering effects, and it can also help with blood sugar lowering. So there was a study done on 40 women with elevated androgen levels, which are male hormones like testosterone, and if they found that a significant decrease in the total testosterone happened compared to the women who weren't drinking the nettle tea. And because of this testosterone-lowering effect, nettle tea, like I said before, it can help with those symptoms like hair loss, acne, and hirsutism. There are other teas that are helpful for PCOS, like licorice root tea, white punine tea, dandelion root tea, as well as um, reishi mushroom tea. Those are all teas that you can get online or in your local Whole Foods or other health food stores will typically have them. Traditional grocery stores should have um, spearmint tea and dandelion root tea, so you can definitely get started with those. Very accessible, inexpensive, and again, they're enjoyable, so why not try it? I want to move on to the next question, which is all about post-pill PCOS. So if this is something you're concerned about, I want you to pay attention here. When you're taking the pill, what many women do not understand is that ovulation is basically shut down. The pill blocks the communication between your brain and the ovaries, and you're not ovulating. This is part of why it's helpful in preventing pregnancy, because there is no ovulation. Now, for women who do not have PCOS or for some women who do have PCOS, what happens most of the time is that when you come off the pill, ovulation will restore naturally. So this is something that may take some time, but for the most part, ovulation does return and the body goes back into its natural cycle, releasing its own hormones and that communication with the brain and the ovaries resumes. Sometimes ovulation suppression lingers too long and you're not getting a period because again, if you're not ovulating, then you're not going to be getting a period. And this ovulation suppression can continue for months, sometimes a year or more. So how do we know if this is pill-induced PCOS or traditional, I would say, more classic PCOS? Well, if your periods were irregular before you went on the pill, and in many cases it's the reason why you went on the pill, then it's not pill-induced PCOS because your periods were not regular and you've likely had other symptoms prior to going on the pill. So this is not something that was caused by the pill. It's something that was there before. And perhaps during the time that you were on the pill, you weren't experiencing any symptoms and you were getting a bleed, which is not a period, but it is a monthly regular bleed. So you weren't noticing those symptoms while you were on the birth control pill. 
However, if you've had regular periods prior to going on the pill, but you maybe had acne or, you know, you wanted to use the pill as contraception, maybe you didn't go on the pill because of your symptoms, but if your periods were regular and now that you've been on the pill and have come off it, you're experiencing irregularity or totally missing periods for a three or a four month period consecutively after coming off the pill. So you haven't had a period for three consecutive months after coming off the pill, or you're missing a period right now and you're also experiencing sudden symptoms like acne, um, elevated luteinizing hormone to FSH ratio if your doctor ran those labs for you, or if you were seen to have cysts on your ovaries, those are all signs that, yes, you may very well be experiencing post-pill PCOS. And there is a lot that you can do about it, specifically around supplements and diet and nutrition. So of course, if you're listening to this podcast, I know that you're interested in managing your PCOS naturally and supplements like Puny or Licorice can be very helpful here. Also, sometimes increasing your calorie intake to a good range or bringing it down a bit to the right range for your body can be very helpful. Incorporating enough carbohydrates, so definitely not restricting carbohydrates and prioritizing the healthier, higher fiber ones, and then working on stress management and reducing inflammation are all going to be super essential here. There's much more to it, and I definitely work with women to help customize it to your own specific situation, which I obviously can't do here because I know nothing about you, but I hope to give you some tips and a kind of a direction to go in. This is something that you want to definitely address quickly because the longer it lasts, the worse it is usually. So the quicker we can bring your period back, the better off you'll be. Your hormones will fall into balance, which will help restore a natural, good, healthy cycle for you. With a period that shows up every month, this is one of the biggest benefits and one of the best results that I'm most proud of in my course, where women went from a 60 or 80 or a 45-day cycle to a 30-day cycle, and it happened regularly and almost immediately. So I'm not someone who promises a magic bullet or quick fixes, but I can tell you that this result is one that happens fairly quickly. As soon as someone starts with the right diet and nutrition and supplement plan, their period restores and it regulates. And that says a lot about your whole body health. Our periods are a great indicator of how healthy we are. So when we get a regular period, you can rest assured that your hormones are in balance and that your body is functioning properly. So I hope this helped answer your question about post-pill PCOS. And the next question that I have is from Dana. And she says, I have insatiable sugar cravings. How do I stop them? Well, this is the million dollar question. And I can probably, and I should probably, dedicate a whole episode to sugar and cravings. I've touched on it in multiple episodes in the past, but I do want to do a whole episode dedicated to cravings. But let's let's talk about this. Sugar cravings are usually a signal that something is off in your body. And in order to really step out of the cycle of cravings and wanting more carbs and more sugar, you'll want to know what's driving these insatiable cravings. In PCOS, it's likely going to be either high insulin levels or high cortisol levels or both. Both of these hormones will signal the brain to seek out sugar and carbs. And many times we also see that when there's high cortisol, there's high inflammation, which reduces another hormone called leptin. Leptin is the hormone that signals to the brain that we're full. And when there's a lot of inflammation in the body, leptin levels reduce because we want to keep getting energy. That's how our body is programmed. 
but we don't necessarily need that additional energy, which usually will come in the form of carbs and sugar. So our brain is programmed to make us crave carbs and sugar for survival, but obviously we don't necessarily need them as is in the case of sugar cravings that are just insatiable. So For us to break out of this cycle is really reduce the body's need to secrete these two hormones, and there are five ways that I recommend to do this. The first thing is having breakfast within 90 minutes of waking up and making sure that it includes a healthy fat. The second thing is to include protein in every meal and snack. You want at least 30 grams at meals and about 15 to 20 grams at your snacks. The next thing is to add fiber. And a lot of people think they're getting enough fiber, but they're really not. We want to get to a goal of 30 to 40 grams per day. In my program, I show you how to do this and I give you lots of meal and snack ideas and I help you strategize depending on what your day looks like, how are you going to fit it all in? Because it's not easy to have breakfast, to then make sure you're getting enough protein in every meal, to then make sure that you're getting the fiber. That's a lot to juggle and I don't expect you to figure it out on your own. I want you to get some coaching, connect with someone who can help you figure it out so that you don't have to stress out about it. This is what my program is all about. And then the next thing, the fourth thing I would recommend is to have a sweet treat early in the day when you have more control. So if you're someone who has to have chocolate in their day, and I'm one of these people, I have chocolate every single day. I have it early in the day, usually after lunch. It's my sweet treat. It fills my need to eat chocolate and I'm, I'm good. So the timing of when you introduce those treats or sugary things, which can fit into your day, but the timing does matter. You want to do it earlier on in the day. I've seen it work perfectly for many, many women. And then last, but certainly not least, is to focus on sleep. If you're not sleeping well or not sleeping enough, your cravings are going to be through the roof. And that's, again, related to our hunger and satiety hormones, ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin is a hormone that's going to be increased when we're not sleeping well, and it's a hunger hormone. It makes us hungry all the time. And then leptin, which I mentioned before, it's our fullness hormone. Leptin is going to make us feel full. When we're not sleeping, leptin goes down, so we're feeling more hungry and less full at the same time, meaning I keep eating and I can never seem to get enough. That's hormonal. That's because our hormones for hunger and satiety are not in balance, and it's directly related to the amount and quality of our sleep. Okay, and our fifth and last question came from Christina, and she asks, does PCOS create or affect food sensitivities? So, PCOS does not create food sensitivities, but since PCOS is often characterized by chronic inflammation, having a food sensitivity can worsen the already existing state of inflammation in your body, specifically things like migraines, joint pain, acne, digestive issues, meaning if you eat a food that you're sensitive to, it may worsen those symptoms for you more than it would have if you didn't have PCOS. And there are some foods we commonly think of when it comes to food sensitivities, including gluten, dairy, and soy, but the answer is not to necessarily eliminate them. You could test yourself and you could um, just do even an elimination test on your own, a simple elimination diet, avoiding these foods for maybe two to three weeks and seeing how you feel. If your symptoms improve, yes, maybe you do have a sensitivity to that specific food, which by the way is why I don't recommend doing multiple foods at once. So I wouldn't just go and eliminate gluten, soy, and eggs. And if you do feel better, you're not going to know which one it was. So do one at a time, 
two weeks at a time, maybe three weeks if you're, if you're able, and then see if you're feeling better. Yes, that food may be inflammatory for you. If you're not feeling better, I wouldn't continue to eliminate it. It shouldn't take more than two or three weeks to see results. So if you're eliminated gluten, which is still out there, people still talk about it. I personally haven't seen it to be that significantly effective for women. And there are zero studies that show that it's effective for PCOS. But say you felt like it is inflammatory for you or you're sensitive to gluten, go ahead, eliminate it for two or three weeks. See how you feel. If you improved, great. You probably shouldn't be eating it. If not, then I would bring it back and try another food. It's helpful to keep a food diary during this time so that you can really pinpoint what you're eating and what are some of the connections that you can make between your meals and your symptoms. Okay. So one other thing that I want to mention about gluten is that sometimes people will eliminate gluten, but and, and see good results. They'll, they're seeing they're less bloated. They're seeing they're feeling better, less symptoms. But what they're really experiencing is the de-bloating from not including as many FODMAPs. And those are fermentable carbohydrates in your foods that have nothing to do in glu- with gluten. They just happen to occur in the same foods that contain gluten, like bread or pasta. But when people eliminate them, they automatically think it was the gluten that was the problem. It's not. It's probably the FODMAPs. So if the main benefit that you're seeing when reducing gluten is de-bloating, less bloat, less puffiness, less digestive problems, it's probably not because of gluten. It's because you've eliminated something called FODMAPs. So if you want more information about this, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. You can DM me or send me an email and I'll definitely clarify for you. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you have other questions, send them over to me. I want to answer them. I want to talk about what you're wondering about so that I can help you in your journey of healing your body with PCOS. And as I said, if you're interested in getting coaching and support and really having someone hold your hand through the process of balancing your hormones, changing your body, and reducing those symptoms, go over to daphnachazen.com forward slash join and check out my new course, Reset Your PCOS that is now officially open. I will see you here again next week. Bye for now.